Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, that very encouraging welcome. What a privilege, what a joy to be with you at Thrive Church in Boxburg today. And uh, I always feel at home when I, when I come here because as Pastor Byron said, I'm from Nigel. You know, the Bible says, can anything good come from Nigel? And uh, my, I mean, Presley's used to be my watering hole back in my BC days. And so, you know, this is like, this is like home territory for me. But uh, what an absolute joy to be here today. And uh, thank you so much to Pastor Byron and Candice and your amazing team for your hospitality. And uh, this is a church that is going places, I can tell you that. The spirit in the house, the worship, the love for serving, the love for giving, God is doing a phenomenal work here. And uh, can I just ask you for a moment just to give a huge round of applause for your pastors, for your leaders, and can we honor them? You know, nothing, nothing just happens by chance. It requires good leadership. And you've got some of the most amazing leaders, wonderful friends of ours whom we highly value and appreciate. And uh, my wife is preaching in Edenvale right now, and uh, she's doing an amazing job there. She's going to be here for the next service. So, you know, whatever you were planning on doing, don't do it. Cancel it. Be here for the next service. And uh, she's got a great message. And as Pastor Byron mentioned, we, we wrote a book together recently, which was interesting. Uh, it required a bit of admin along the way, a few conversations. But a book called For the Love of Family. And, you know, as much as I love ministering, I love preaching, I love what I do, my greatest joy in life is my family. And uh, so grateful to God for them. I think we've got a picture of our, our kids with you as well. It's our beautiful family, just doing what we do, going for walks, hanging out together. And uh, we've written that book as a resource to build into families. Uh, you know, your family is God's gift to you. You may not always like them. You may not always want to be with them, but they are God's gift to you. And when your family works well, it's amazing how all the other things in life tend to work out the way they need to as well. But just before we go to the Word, I want to just tell you, uh, there was a preacher who one day found a shoebox in a cupboard at home. And uh, he opened the shoebox and inside he found there was an egg carton with five eggs in it. And next to the eggs was a thick wad of 200 rand notes that he counted and it totaled up to 100,000 rand. And uh, he asked his wife if, if she knew anything about the shoebox. And his wife said, yes, dear. She said, after we got married, I decided that after every sermon you preached, if the sermon was a bad one, that I would put an egg in the shoebox. Well, I mean, this preacher's heart was all of a sudden filled with pride because, you know, he thought about how long they'd been married for and, 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 and there were only five eggs in the shoebox, so he must have been an amazing preacher. And, and so he said to his wife, he said, but, but honey, you know, what about the 100,000 rand? And she said, oh, no, well, you know, every time I got to a dozen eggs, I would sell them. <laughs> And so I just say that because hopefully this is not going to be a message that needs another egg in the carton today. But just put your hand on your heart. Let's pray as we go to the Word. Father, we just humble ourselves in your presence. Thank you that you are Lord over all. 
Thank you that you desire to work in us. And as our hearts are open, as we lean in and be receptive today, thank you that you will speak to us as you always do through your word. Bless your awesome people in the house today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you take your seats, just tell the person next to you, you're the second best looking thing I've seen all day. <laughs> well, as I be, begin today, I want to uh, just mention a book to you that I read a number of years ago that had a big impact on my life. And it was a book called The Heavenly Man. And some of you may have read it. It, it tells the story of a Chinese Christian man who was known as Brother Yun. And he was born in China in 1958. Uh, his mother had previously uh, believed in Jesus when some missionaries had come to China and shared the gospel with her. Uh, but once the communist government took over in China, uh, all the missionaries were expelled. Uh, Christianity was outlawed and the Bible was banned. And because of that, eventually Brother Yun's mother's faith shriveled up. But uh, Brother Yun, as a young man, decided that he desperately wanted to get hold of a Bible. And so he began to fast and pray. And for a hundred consecutive days, he ate nothing except one small bowl of steamed rice every day. And as soon after he'd completed that time of prayer and fasting, one day two random strangers knocked on his front door and handed a Bible to him. And Brother Yun began to really just devour the Word of God. Uh, at the time, he could barely read, but he pretty much taught himself to read by reading the Bible. And uh, eventually, he managed to painstakingly work his way through the entire Bible. And then he began to memorize one chapter of the Bible each day. Uh, he ended up uh, ministering in China for 23 years in the underground church because, well, it was illegal to preach in China in those days. And because of that, uh, he was arrested a number of times. Uh, on three different occasions, he was imprisoned. And he spent a total of seven years in jail for preaching the gospel. Uh, during that time, as you can imagine, he was repeatedly beaten. He was often tortured with electric batons. Uh, he was kicked. He was trampled upon. Uh, often the uh, prison wardens would insert needles under his fingernails as part of his torture. Uh, he was also abused by the other prisoners. On one particular occasion, uh, Brother Yun was caught preaching by the Chinese secret police, and they locked him up in a freezing cold prison cell. The temperature was below zero, and they took away his coat from him as well in the hope that he would freeze to death. And uh, while he was in this prison cell, someone had left an old drum in the corner of the cell there. And so what Brother Yun did was he, with his hands cuffed, he began to beat down on this drum, and as loud as he could, he began to sing the words of Psalm 150. And he later wrote, and he said, The more I sang, the more I was filled with joy. I stood up and praised the Lord. He said, Gradually my frozen hands and feet regained feeling, and I wasn't cold anymore. Isn't that wonderful, eh? You know, here was a man who had joy in his heart, Despite the severity of his outward circumstances, he had nothing outwardly to be joyful about. But in that cold prison cell in the middle of China, in the middle of winter, God began to restore the joy to his heart in spite of his circumstances. And I want to speak to you along those lines today of restoring our joy 
in spite of circumstances. Restoring our joy in spite of circumstances. Now, I want to read to you a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Habakkuk. And uh, many of you would know that Habakkuk was a prophet whom God used to speak to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament shortly before they went into exile in Babylon. And uh, at the time when Habakkuk uh, preached, Israel had deserted God. And, and how many of you know when you desert God, your life will never get better? People think they can run from God and things will get better. Your life will always get worse when you run from God. And at the time, there was a moral crisis in the land. There was a faith crisis. And there was also an economic crisis. And so Habakkuk preaches into this. And I want to read you from Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 19. He says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, he says, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, well, that's wonderful for him, but this doesn't really apply to me because, you know, I live in Boxburg and I'm not a farmer. I don't have olive crops growing in my back garden. I don't plant grapes and fig trees. So, so how does this actually have anything to do with me? Well, I want to read you that same verse again, that same passage, but this time from the South African translation of the Bible, uh, if there were such a thing. And uh, it goes like this. Even though there's the daily threat of crime and corruption is at an all-time high, even though interest rates have gone up again and inflation is crippling the economy, even though ESCOM has plunged us into darkness and the future prospects are seemingly poor, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Can you say amen to that? today. You know, I think it's fair to say that as a nation, we've largely lost our joy. Isn't that true? You know, if we think of all that has happened over the last few years and, and all that is still happening around us in our country, all the things that have happened to us, many, many South Africans have become discouraged. But what I love is that the Bible is always relevant. No matter who you are, no matter what time in history you live in, no matter what is happening in your life, the Bible is always relevant. It was relevant in the day of Habakkuk, and it is relevant to us today as believers and for those of us attending Thrive Church today. And you know, the devil would love nothing more than to steal your joy. He's not too interested in whether you bow down and worship him or not. If he can just steal your joy, he's accomplished his purpose. In fact, Jesus said of him in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And if the devil can rob you of your joy, he can make you miserable. And if you are miserable, then he can kill those dreams and desires that God has placed on the inside of you. And if he can do that, well, he can potentially rob you of the wonderful future that God has for your life. You know, many Christians are saved and are completely miserable at the same time. How many of you know someone like that? How many of you are sitting next to someone like that? <laughs> Don't put your hand up now. 
I want to read you something that Warren Wearsby wrote regarding this passage. He was a well-known Bible commentator. He said, if Habakkuk looked ahead, he saw a nation heading for destruction and that frightened him. When he looked within, he saw himself trembling with fear. And when he looked around, he saw everything in the economy about to fall apart. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God and all his fears vanished. Can you say amen to that today? Amen. Let me give you a few thoughts as to how we can restore our joy in spite of circumstances. Firstly, is this is very importantly to realize that joy and happiness are not the same. I don't know if you've realized, but joy and happiness are not the same thing. They certainly have similarities. There's certainly some overlaps, but at the root, they are not the same thing. Because happiness is largely dependent upon happenings. The things that happen around us, the things that happen to us, the circumstances we find ourselves in largely determine our happiness. So for example, if tomorrow you go into work and your boss calls you into his or her office and the boss says to you, look, we've, we've noticed you, you've, you've been working well, we appreciate the good attitude you bring here and because of that, we want to give you a promotion. And we are going to double your salary. How many of you would say, well, this is a happy day? You know, you're going to be going around the office. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. Wonderful, hey? Because it's a, an event that has happened or something that has happened to us that has affected us positively. You know, if, if your sporting team wins, you're happy. I mean, we got a brother there with a Manchester United shirt. He's not very happy at the moment. I can see that. But, but, but you, know, you know, it's funny. In our church, in our church, like our church loves the Premier League. And it's split down the middle. 50% support Liverpool, 50% support Manchester United. And so depending on who played on a Saturday and won, you see the guys, they come, they come in their shirts on the Sunday and, you know, chest sticking out with a sports shirt. And, and during worship, they're lifting their hands higher and, you know, jumping. And why? Because they are, are happy. Something happened externally that affected them positively. All these things can bring happiness, but they can't bring lasting joy to your life for the simple reason that none of those things are guaranteed. So you may go into work tomorrow, you may get called into the office, but the outcome may not be what you'd hoped for. Your boss might tell you, we actually don't need you anymore. Or as often happens with my team, they just never win. They always tend to lose. And then when things don't go our way, our happiness is not where we would like it to be. You know, people often say, this, and maybe you've said it, maybe you've heard others say it, I just want to be, I just want to be happy. You know, except for supermodels, they just want world peace for everyone, but, but for, the, for, you know, for the rest of us, the rest of us mere mortals, we, we often say, I just want to be happy. But you see, in order to be happy, it requires all the happenings around you, all your circumstances to always go favorably. And I've realized that is not how life works. Things will never always go your way. So happiness is based on external circumstances. Joy is different to that. Joy is produced internally. Joy is not dependent about what is happening around you. It's not determined whether things go your way. It's got very little to do with how you feel because joy is actually a supernatural gift from God that is dispensed to us via the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, in Galatians 5.22, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy. Everyone say joy. And then it lists the other fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's interesting that joy is listed second only to love. Because I've realized if you don't have the gift of joy, it's unlikely that you will experience the other nine fruits of the Spirit that come after that. And so we can't produce joy in our lives without the Holy Spirit. You know, we can certainly nurture that joy. We can do our best to make sure we don't lose it. But we cannot manufacture joy on our own. And so logically speaking, if if the Holy Spirit is the one who produces joy in our lives, then it makes sense that if we, if we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, if we make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we are obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, that our joy levels will begin to increase. Isn't that right? But the opposite is also true. If, if, if you and I ignore the Holy Spirit, if we make no time for Him in our lives, if we refuse to be led by the Holy Spirit, then our joy levels will gradually begin to decrease. You see, we can't have what the Holy Spirit gives us without first receiving the Holy Spirit himself. Isn't that right? You can't have what he gives to you without having him first. You know, whenever I uh, travel overseas, uh, I'm always under pressure because I have to bring gifts back for my kids. And uh, when you've got four kids, that's four times the pressure. And they also want cool stuff and stuff that they can't get in South Africa. So, you know, I have, to bring, I have to bring gifts back for the kids. And it, it would be a bit like them saying to me, Dad, uh, we want the gifts that you've got for us. We just don't want you to come back from overseas. Now, I mean, imagine them saying that to me. I'd be like, excuse me, you have to receive me first before you can have access to the gifts that I've got for you. And the same is true with the Holy Spirit. You can't have the joy that the Holy Spirit has available for you as a gift without first receiving the Holy Spirit into your life and giving Him permission to lead you and direct you. Second thought is this, is that every day we can choose joy. So we can't manufacture joy, but every day we can choose joy. In that passage we read earlier in In Habakkuk 3, after he lists all the things that are wrong in the land, he says in verse 18, in spite of that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Now, just recently, in fact, in the last month, uh, I had the privilege of of, of traveling to America. Pastor Byron was on that trip with us and um, went to a wonderful uh, conference in Dallas, Texas, and uh, it, I mean, wonderful conference, great worship, great ministry, just a great time of refreshing. And um, on the Saturday before the conference started, we, we, we went to visit a church, great, you know, big significant church. They had a four o'clock service in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, we went to the service, wonderful worship, great teaching there. There were four of us traveling, you know, we connected with some people. We, we came out of that service and man, we were just filled with joy. We were filled with faith. You know, every now and then there's a service where you like come out and you're like, yeah. Anyway, it was still early in the evening. And so we thought, you know, we've got time. We'll go to a mall that was nearby and we'll, we'll have a bit of a walk around. We'll grab something to eat. 
And uh, I was the designated driver for the trip, which is pressure when you're in America because they drive on the wrong side of the road, okay? And also the cars are left-hand drive, so you're sitting in the wrong side of the car driving. But anyway, I, you know, I managed to navigate that well, got us you know, safely through Dallas. And, and, and after this church service, we went to this mall and we're in the parking area trying to find a parking space there. And as, we, as I'm about to drive into this parking, uh, there, there's a woman walking across in front of us with a, with a kid. Kid was maybe four or five years old. And the kid had let go of the mom's hand and was running across this busy car park here. And of course, the mom freaked out a bit and she ran and grabbed the child as you do and yanked the child. And, and, and anyway, you know, I saw all this happening in front of me. I braked in time. All was good. Mom and the kid got by. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... This guy appears, big, big guy. And I don't know if he was the father of the child or the, or the husband of this woman or just a complete stranger, but all of a sudden he starts ranting and shouting abuse at us. We're sitting in the car there. He's swearing at us, cursing us. He called us things I have never been called in my life before. He used four-letter words as creatively as I've ever heard anyone use four-letter words. And, and, and we're sitting there thinking like, who's this oak? He can't say that to us. And bear in mind, we've just been in church, so we're full of faith. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And we're thinking, maybe we should just take this guy out. You know, we'll show him. And then one of the guys in the back, it might have even been your, the wisdom of your pastor, says, maybe he's got a gun. Because... Because in America, they carry guns with them. Guys carry big knives there. And we thought, okay, okay, let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just think this through. This guy's carrying on. We thought he's going to smash the window open. And so I, I just very quickly got back into gear, and we just, we just drove off to a different, you know, di different area in the parking lot. There. He was still shouting and screaming at us. And, you know, I realized there that here's a guy who had no joy. You know, I don't know if he had a bad day or if he was having a bad life or what was happening around him. But when he woke up that Saturday morning, he did not choose joy for his life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. But there's that wonderful verse in Psalm 118. The writer says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, this is something that I've begun to pray every single morning. I like to get up early before everyone else is awake in the house and uh, read my Bible, pray, have my quiet time with God. I'd encourage you to do the same. And every day I pray this now, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Today I will rejoice and I will be glad in it because I have to recognize on any given day, not everything is going to go my way. You know, I like to plan my day out, but not everything is going to go according to plan. And I don't know what you are like when you wake up in the morning, but I have to confess, I generally don't wake up with the happiness of the Lord upon me. You know, you, you might think, oh, yeah, you know, it's easy for you pastors. You know, you wake up in the morning and, you know, Jesus is sitting on the edge of your bed there and uh, the choirs of heaven are, you know, they, they, they're singing in your room there and, and you've got Bambi and Snow White skipping through like, <laughs> and, oh, it's, it's amazing for you, you know. You don't know what it's like in the real world. No. I don't wake up with happy juice in the morning. When my alarm clock goes off like most of you, I have to drag myself out of bed. I've got to, you know, scamper for that kitchen there, put the kettle on, strong coffee, a few sips, and then I can begin to choose joy.
You know, every day for all of us, listen, every day has trouble for all of us. Every day they are pro- there are problems you're going to have to navigate. But you've got to make that decision at the start of the day. This is the day the Lord has made. In spite of what happens, I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Amen. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. You might think, ah, oh, Paul was caught up to the third heaven again. No, he wasn't. He was in prison. He was in a filthy Roman dungeon. He was beaten again. He'd, he was lonely. He'd been deserted by his friends. And he says, that, he says that again, I will say rejoice. And I don't think he said it for our benefit. He said it for his own benefit. Because every day in that filthy prison cell, he had to make the decision that today I will rejoice. Tomorrow again, I will rejoice. The day after that, I choose to rejoice. You know, joy produces a supernatural strength in your life that will sustain you through some of the most difficult seasons of life. Can you say amen to that? Thirdly is this, is that joy is lost through sin, but regained through repentance. Joy is lost through sin, but regained through repentance. You know, I've realized one of the quickest ways to lose joy in your life is to allow sin. You know, if you imagine for a moment you're in your kitchen at home, and you put a pot of water on the stove, and you begin to boil that water, Uh, If you take the lid off, eventually that water will begin to evaporate. Isn't that right? And if you leave that water boiling for an hour or maybe two hours, eventually all that water will have been completely evaporated, just little by little by little. And I've realized it's the same how joy works in our lives. You know, if you and I play in the devil's kitchen, if we allow sin to be in our lives, if we're doing things that we know are contradictory to the Word of God, then joy just slowly begins to evaporate from your life. It doesn't disappear immediately. It's not like, where's my joy? Yeah, it was here. Where's it gone? No, no. Little by little by little, your joy begins to evaporate until one day you wake up and you think, how did I get you? How did I end up in this place? How am I so miserable? Why am I so depressed? Why am I having to rely on medication? Why is my heart so discouraged? It's how joy is evaporated from our lives. You know, Samson was a bit like that. You might remember his story. He, he always did the things that he shouldn't have done. He was always fiddling where he shouldn't have fiddled. Samson had a weakness for good-looking women. He always had to go fiddle, fiddle, fiddle there. Went from one bad relationship to the next. Eventually, he hooks up with a woman called Delilah who was, listen, Delilah was that woman that your mother warned you about, guys, but you didn't know, you took no notice of her. And one day he's got his head in her lap and he's completely sozzled again. And, and, and he doesn't know that she has an ulterior motive to hand him over to the Philistines. And Judges 16.20 says that Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, ah, I'll do as before and shake myself free. And then one of the scariest verses in the Bible. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. And I think that's exactly how joy works in our lives. One day you wake up and you didn't realize that all your joy had left you. Because when we entertain sin, it will always rob us of our joy. And here's the thing. Here's why the devil's so clever. He has designed sin to bring a measure of temporary happiness to our lives. Isn't that right? Sin brings happiness to our lives. If it didn't, we would never sin. But that's the, that, that's the lure of sin. That's the bait. It gives you a measure of happiness. 
But here's the problem. You can write this down. Is that when we choose temporary happiness, it robs us of lasting joy. Isn't that right? Think about a relationship that you go into. You know it's wrong. You know you're doing things that God says you shouldn't do. But it fills a, a, a need in your life. It brings a measure of happiness. But what you don't realize is down the line, it robs you of all your joy. You know, people who do dodgy business deals to make some quick money, it gives you a temporary happiness, but down the line, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to rob you of your joy. You know, people who watch porn online gives you a measure of temporary happiness, but eventually it's going to rob you of all the joy in your future relationships. Or what about binge eating? You know, you come home from work and you've had a bad day and you open the fridge and like a plague of locusts, fridge, cupboard, everything in between and now you feel happy. But two days later you get on the scale and all the joy is robbed from your life. Think about David and Bathsheba. Why did David commit adultery with Bathsheba? You know, he was a godly man. The Bible says he was a man after the Lord's own heart. Why did he do it? Why was he that stupid? Well, I don't know why, except that David was looking for some temporary happiness. You know, he saw Bathsheba, the babe, having a bath there, and he thought, hmm, I need to get me a piece of that. And, you know, maybe David thought after all the years of serving God faithfully that he was entitled to a bit of extra nookie on the sideline. I don't know how he justified it. But David commits adultery with Bathsheba to get some temporary happiness only to realize it would rob him of all his joy after that. David became miserable. That close relationship he had with the Lord was no longer there. David became emotionally unstable and his spiritual life went into decline. Why? Because sin will always rob you of your joy, but repentance can restore that joy to your life. Now, I want to just read to you two passages of Scripture here. One is from Psalm 32. One is from Psalm 51. These are both the words of David, uh, parallel passages that he wrote regarding the incident relating to Bathsheba. Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, in other words, as long as I entertain this thing, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. There's a picture of someone with no joy. But then in Psalm 51, he says to God, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me now. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Notice again the connection between joy and the Holy Spirit. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You know, Thrive Church, joy is always the fruit of a right relationship with God. If you are not right with God today, I guarantee you there is no lasting joy in your life. You may have moments of temporary happiness, but you can have no joy because sin will always rob us of our joy, but repentance will begin to restore that joy. And just as we finish up, I want to just illustrate this for you today, if I may, for a moment, uh, just of how this, this principle works. And uh, if you guys can just drop the pulpit for me, please. Uh, this, this empty container here, 
is like my life and your life. And what happens over time is that there are things that, that rob our joy. So maybe disappointment, failure, you know, a, a relationship that didn't work out the way you hoped, all the things that tend to happen to us, the, the external circumstances of life, they begin to rob us of our joy. Then also we have all the, the sin issues in our life, all the, the little lies and the little untruths and, 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 and maybe there's a bit of envy in our life and jealousy and maybe we have a tendency to gossip about people and you know, say things behind their back and, 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 and we don't really prioritize God and you know, we rather do our own thing. All these things that all of us can relate to in life. And, 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 and we get to the point like, like David did, like Samson did, like so many of us have gotten to where we realize there's actually no joy in my life. All these things have robbed me of my joy. Sin will always rob you of your joy. But, but there's a wonderful thing called repentance. And when you and I come before God with a repentant heart and we begin to confess our sin before Him, all of a sudden, something begins to happen to us on the inside. And, 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 and even though the outside may still look the same, it, it's like there's a, there's a change on the inside of us that begins to take place. There's, there's a refreshing that begins to happen on the inside of us. And so the more we confess us and the more we press in, the more we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives, all of a sudden we realize that these things that had previously robbed us of our joy, all of a sudden, they no longer seem to be there anymore. They, they, it's almost like they begin to disappear. They, they no longer have a hold on us. And, and although there will always be things in our lives that we have to deal with, you know, the reality is for none of us, this side of eternity, we will never be completely free from sin. Although we've been saved from it, we'll never be completely free from it. But even those things, all those, the, the, those issues, they, they're only surface issues now. They are not things that rob us of our joy. They don't have a hold on our heart anymore because our heart has been given over to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. Would you just stand to your feet for a moment? I want to just, just very quickly take a moment to just pray for joy to be restored to your life. Can you maybe just stand with your hands just outward in a, in a receiving position? Father, you see every person here today. Thank you that you're a God who restores our joy. Thank you that joy is a good gift of the Holy Spirit. And today, Father, we firstly make a decision to choose joy. We can't manufacture it, but we choose to receive your joy by choosing to prioritize you. Lord, then also we confess our sin before you today, Lord. We repent of things that we've done that are contradictory towards your word. Things that we've knowingly done and allowed that have robbed that joy from our lives. We bring those things before you, Lord. We repent of that. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us. And as you take up your rightful place in our lives, we know that our joy will begin to increase. All those things that had a hold on our heart will begin to dissipate and evaporate. And joy will begin to increase in our lives. Would you pour out a generous measure of joy onto the lives of your people today? In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's just worship for a few moments. Let's worship for a few moments, and then we'll finish up shortly. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. 
For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.